Amen. Barbara, you want to grab this? All right, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're picking up with verse 16, and we're actually going to go to the end of the chapter with like 17 verses today. So be in agreement with me. Grace and faith, we'll get this done. All right, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16, let's read. I say again, let no one think of me as a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are so wise. For you put up with it if someone brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say that we are too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in the perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor, under Aratus the king, was guarding the city of the Damascusines with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But when I was let down in a basket through the window, I escaped from his hands. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God that is filled with the spiritual nutrients that we need today. We're going to open our heart and receive it by faith and appropriate those nutrients. Holy Spirit, we call upon you again as the spiritual teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, I'm asking that you would speak to your children, each individually. They walk away hearing from you and getting what they they need from you. Only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Okay. Verse 16. Let's start unpacking this. I say again, let no one think of me as a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. Again, briefly, we talk about Paul is dealing with false teachers. He came in with the gospel of grace and faith. They got born again, were grounded in Christ, and then Paul left. And then afterwards, false teachers came in, teaching a different gospel, which was not a gospel, brought in legalism and a mixture of Greek philosophy called Gnosticism, which you can have spiritual encounters and get special knowledge, and, and you can go up in levels of, of your maturity or your, your condition as a Christian. You can know more than other people. You can be initiated into the higher truths than the ignorant folk, and you can have a special place with God. And Paul's just going to bring out that's all bunk. 
that when we got saved, we became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's Jesus' righteousness. It's 100% perfect. It's never going to get higher, never get better, never going to get less. And that we're all equal in that righteousness and in the status that we have. Paul's going to bring that out. And he's going to talk about exposing these teachers. We're going to find out that they were actually servants of the devil. They weren't even Christians. But somehow they had rejected the true apostle God sent them for servants of the devil. We found out last week, what was it? How could they somehow fall so far to reject the true apostle for ministers of Satan? It's because, first of all, they did not know the word of God. They didn't know the nature of Jesus. And so Jesus' nature was opposite than the false teachers. False teacher came in boasting, braggadocious. They were all about them. They wanted to be served. And if you really know the heart of Jesus, it's to serve. He's, he's meek and humble. He's not a braggart. They didn't know Jesus. And so, again, they didn't know their ministers. And so we found that out. So let's dive in here, verse 16. I say again, let no one think me as a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool that I may boast a little. And so Paul says that if you think I'm a fool, then I guess I'll pay that part. The word fool means with un, one without understanding. And he says, really receive me as a fool. So Paul was not a fool, but the Corinthians believed him to be so. So he says, Let's, so be it. Let's, let me act like a fool. And that's in boasting. And so if the only thing you're going to listen to is people boast about themselves, I'll become a fool. I will boast a little about myself. And so Paul was not a fool. You know, what parent, raise your hand if you're a parent, okay? Raise your hand if you're a parent of a teenager or have been a parent of a teenager. Well, there's something about teenagers. What parent has not been thought a fool by their teenager at some point? Time has a way of making our parents smarter and wiser than what we once thought they were. The word sophomore in high school, sophomore. Do you know that that word comes from a compound word? It comes from two Greek words. One, the first word is sophos, which means wise. The next word is moros, where we get the word moron. <laughs> it's one that's a moron that but thinks they're wise. It's so, bless God, the Corinthians were a bunch of sophomores, thinking they were wiser than Paul, no more than Paul. And so Paul said, okay, I will play that part, and so that I may also, say also, boast a little. Why the word also? Because the false teachers were boasting, the Corinthians were boasting. Paul says, okay, I'll also boast a little, say little. Paul's going to list all this amazing stuff about him. It's going to be amazing the things he went through that he could boast about. And he says, just a little. Matter of fact, he could tell a lot more. It'd be true. He's just going to give a little bit of the qualifications he had and things he had been through. So he says, I may also boast a little. Verse 17 says, what I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. He brings out, I'm going to speak, but it's not according to the Lord. What's that mean? It's not according to how the Lord Jesus operates. Jesus is not a braggart. He's not a boaster. And, and that's not his nature. But I'm going to go against his nature, and I'm going to do something that I hate. It's not my nature, but I'm going to do it so you can wake you up. And so this means that boasting is not how the Lord communicates. He never boasts in himself or his accomplishments. He didn't come, born, uh, come in uh, in a great limousine with blaring speakers saying, God's on the scene. Bow down. No, no, he came in in a manger. 
for 30 years in total silence, did not mention anything. Matter of fact, through three years of ministry, he spent more people telling, shut up, don't tell people, versus than, than bragging about himself. Jesus created everything. John chapter 1 says nothing was created without him, that he created all things. And so Jesus created everything from the subatomic world to the 100 billion galaxies. If anyone has a ground to brag, it's Jesus, and he doesn't. Man says, look, I painted a masterpiece. Jesus does not say to that person, awesome. Well, I created the materials for the paint, the canvas, the paintbrush. I created the colors, and by the way, your hand I created that made it. He does not say that. Jesus is infinite in his ability, but he's infinitely humble. We have a humble God, and his nature is humility, and the nature of a Christian is humility. And so it's foolish to boast in anything good in you, because anything good in you, it came from Jesus. Anything bad, you take credit for it. It did not come from God. And so... It's foolish to boast in anything good in you. It's utter foolishness to put the spotlight. Let me say this. It is utter foolishness to put the spotlight on you and leave Jesus in the shadows. You need to put the spotlight on Jesus and let him have center stage. What's this saying? You just need humility. Tell someone you need humility. They'll tell the other person next to you, you really need humility. But as it were, foolishly, in this confidence of boasting, look at verse 18, seeing that many boast, according to the flesh, I will also boast. That's the fourth time he said boast. Boast, 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 boast. That's what's been going on. And so Paul is bringing out the pride in these teachers and the pride of the Corinthians. And so I'm talking how foolish it is. Verse 19 says, for you put up with fools gladly. Since you yourself are so wise. If someone is a boaster and they practice boasting, there's something you know right away. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, get past that to know something about someone. They're a fool. If someone boasts in themselves who they are, what they can do, what they've done, they are a fool. And it says you put up with fools with gladness. That means with pleasure. You usually find pleasure in others that practice what you practice. The Corinthians enjoyed boasting, and they rejoiced in the boasting of the false teachers, but they were all of hot air. And so they, the false teachers and the Corinthians thought they were all that in a bag of chips. You ever bought a bag of chips lately? And they look so full, and they're so puffed up, and if you can finally get your fingers in, just open and you pop it open, pops your hair back. It's filled with air. And that's what he's doing. He says, you know what, You're, you are so wise. He's just taking a little pin and popping their hot air balloon. Verse 20. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. Look at the word if. Five times he uses the word if. And in the Greek construction, it's a first class conditional in the Greek, which means if and it is the case. 
So put that into this understanding. Paul said, if and it is the case, you're being brought into bondage. If and it is the case, you're being devoured. If and it is the case, one is taking advantage of you. If and it is the case, one is exalting themselves. And it is, and it is the, if and it is the case that people are striking you on the face. This is happening. First thing he brings out is bondage. False teaching always brings you into bondage. And legalism brings you into bondage. They were introducing back the law that you had to be under your own performance in order to get God to move and be pleased with you. In Galatians chapter 2, look at verse 4. Paul's going to bring out legalism will bring you back into bondage that you came out of. And it's subtle. You need to be careful. It's subtle to get back into your own performance to get God to respond to you. But God only responds to perfection. And so you need to stand on the ground of Jesus' perfection. Galatians chapter 2, look at verse 4. It says, and this occurred because false brethren. Say false brethren. That's what's happened here in Corinth. False brethren had entered into the congregation, secretly brought in, who came by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So they had come out of bondage and now being brought back into bondage. And it says, you're accepting it. You're just letting them do it. And so look at next, it says, and they're devouring you. That means that they are swallowing up all your substance, all your finances. They're demanding offerings. They have, they have super tithe Sundays, triple tithe Sunday. They're forcing you and putting manipulation on you to give to them. Matter of fact, they're robbing everything you have of your substance. You have nothing left. Paul was trying to receive an offering for the saints in Jerusalem, and they haven't given one red denarius. They hadn't given anything. It dried its offering, dried up. Why? Because the false teachers were stealing all of their money. And it was for them. They were taking it. They were robbing them. Next of all, it says, if one takes from you, the Greek says, take advantage of you. They were taking advantage of them. Next of all, if someone's exalt themselves. So the false teachers came in, exalting themselves in their position and putting down other people. And so be careful of people that lift themselves up. And in order to do some, they do it by degrading you so that they can be lifted up. And so, again, false teachers were exalting themselves. Look at Acts chapter 20. Look at verse 30. Paul gives a, a warning to leaders in the church. This is, this is a warning to those that are leaders in the church. Acts chapter 20, verse 30. Paul has his first pastor's conference in Miletus. This is what he says to these leaders in Ephesus. Exodus, I mean, Acts 20, look at verse 30. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up. Say rise up. That means pride. They're not promoted by the Lord. They're not exalted by the Lord. They rise up in pride. It says, look at me. And they draw away disciples after who? Themselves. That's the difference between false teaching, false ministry, and God's ministry. God's new covenant ministry is that, is that the new covenant ministry is that you are to make disciples of the Lord Jesus. And you don't draw them after yourself. I don't care if you're excited or, or blessed about me when you walk out the door. I want you to know more about your relationship with Jesus. I want you to know that he, you are a disciple of Jesus, not Rick McFarland. And so again, ministry is to give, not to take. And so it says back here that they'll make disciples after themselves. Then it gets even worse. Guess what? And it says people are striking, hitting, slapping you around. This is actually taking place. The, the Corinthians were being slapped 
by the false teacher to get them in line to, to be manipulated in doing what they wanted. According to rabbinical Jewish tradition, it was the right of a teacher to strike the student who didn't listen to him or agree with him. That's under the law. And what was happening, the false teachers were actually slapping people around to get them to do what they wanted. Jesus does not slap his children around to get them to comply. That's not Jesus. Paul says that one, one of the qualifications, if you want to be in church leadership, one of the qualifications is they not be a striker. That means you don't settle things with your fists. Throughout church history, things have been settled with people's fists. You have deacons out and brawling out into the parking lot. You have pastors after a counseling session slapping people around to get them to do. Now, some pastors, not me, I'm sure some pastors are tempted to slap some people at some point in their ministry with a five-point sermon. But that's not what a Christian leader should do. Don't do it. Being slapped in the face is a sign of disrespect and humiliation. We see here five verbs increasing in intensity with the Corinthians were willingly enduring by the hands of the false teachers. They were degraded, devoured, defrauded, derided, and dishonored. And they were allowing it to happen. Some people are drawn and attracted to an environment of abuse. Not consciously, I don't think anybody consciously says, I want to be abused. But some subconsciously are drawn, attracted, and remain in environments of abuse. Why? Well, first of all, it's because a lot of times that's how you have a belief system about you that is, is uh, not according to the Lord. It's, you feel worthless, you feel, you feel horrible about yourself, and you deserve that, and your heart will be attracted to places where they treat you as you feel. Next of all, some people feel guilty and feel like subconsciously they deserve punishment. So they will be attracted to people that abuse them. Lastly, I think this is a big one, is they desire to earn approval. And when approval's withheld, and it seems like it's the carrot at the end of the stick, there's something within us, I will earn that. That they're not giving it to me. I'll do whatever I can to get on the right side to get that approval. But guess what? You don't need to do that because you have God's approval. He loves you. You're accepted by him 100%. So many Christians will stay for years in an environment of abuse, even in a church that's abusive. Now, if you feel abused in this church, come talk with me. I won't slap you. We'll talk it over. Verse 21. Paul says, to our shame, I say, we're too weak for that. I'm just too weak to slap you around. I'm just too weak to abuse you. I'm sorry that I, that I didn't offer that to you and do it for you. Just too weak to do it. He's being sarcastic, waking them up. But in whatever, if anyone's bold, I speak foolishly, I'm bold also. Verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Look at the word Hebrew. The word Hebrew means, means one who crossed the river. The first one's called a Hebrew is Abraham. He's called the Hebrew in Genesis 14, 13. He crossed the river Euphrates, and he was the father of the Hebrews, the one that crossed the river. And so they said, well, they claim to be Hebrews. Well, so am I. And they say, well, we're Israelites. And Paul says, well, so am I. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. 
Paul says, well, they say they're the seed of Abraham. Well, so am I. You know the seed of Abraham is a natural seed of Abraham and a spiritual seed? Jesus, I mean, uh, uh, God told Abraham, so, so your seeds be as the sand of the seashore and as the stars of heaven. The sand of the seashore is natural. That's a natural race of Jews that are in the earth and have been in the earth. But what's the spiritual race of stars? That's you believers, Gentiles that accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you become stars. You're the spiritual seed of Abraham. Tell someone next to you, you're a superstar. Verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? We found out last week, no, Paul called them ministers of Satan. They're not ministers of Christ, but he says, you know what? Let's just take for granted they are ministers of Christ. Let's compare me to them. The word minister is the Greek word which means servant. What is a minister? A servant. Raise your hand if you're a minister. If you're saved, you should have your hand raised. That means you're a servant. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. But these false teachers came in demanding to be served, demanding rights, demanding things instead of serving. How do you know false teaching, false ministry versus godly New Testament teaching is that they're there to give, not to take. They're there to serve, not to be served. And so he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. So instead of boasting in his strengths, like most people would, now Paul's going to boast, but in his weaknesses. He's going to bring about everything where his weakness was exposed that he had to draw on the power of God to get through it. He's going to talk about everything he's been through and, and what he's done to build the kingdom of God and what, uh, what areas of weakness he get, got hit time and time again and how God had to bring him through time and time and time again. He brings out his weaknesses so God can get the glory. And so that's the way we ought to be. So you, you need to understand those people on Facebook, the Facebook prophets, they have the new teaching, the deeper realms of understanding. You need to understand, who are they? What have they built? What have they gone through to do it? No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. You're going to get this wrong. Who are they? They're 20-year-olds living in their parents' basement in their underwear. <laughs> Haven't built anything haven't done anything, haven't gone through trust and t- trials and seen God bring them through time and time and time again and the character it took to get them there. No, they have their newfangled theology. They haven't tried out themselves in real life. Now get the image out of your mind about the basement. <laughs> Paul's going to boast in his weaknesses. I am more, in labors more abundant. That means labor to the point of exhaustion and sweat. He worked wherever he went. The false teachers were demanding to be supported. Paul worked. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. That means a whip across your back. Stripes that he lost count of. Most of these stripes we don't even have record in the book of Acts when and what circumstance he received them. The false teachers pointed to their many degrees as proof of being ministers of Christ. You know, you can have 32 degrees and still be frozen. Paul pointed to the many marks on his body to be a minister. 
The marks of a minister. What are the marks of a minister? What have you gone through to build the kingdom of God? What things have you gone through? What, what tested testimony do you have an established ministry over years? The marks of a true minister. Galatians 6, look at verse 12. The, I'm sorry, Galatians 6, 17. The first book he ever wrote. It's the very first one. He ends the book. I kind of, it's kind of humorous, but he ends this book, the first one he ever wrote. Said, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ, the whippings. Paul says, okay, that's about it. No one troubling me anymore. I bear in my body the marks, but he just got started. This is at the very beginning of his ministry. Paul carried the marks of being a true minister of God in his body, in prisons more frequently. At the time of 2 Corinthians, the only reference in the book of Acts of him being in prisons in Philippi. But he said in prisons often when he wrote this book. So there's lots of times in the book of Acts that he was in the clink and we never saw it. In deaths often, that means that he was exposed to death often. Verse 24, from the Jews, say the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That is the ultimate punishment outside of execution that the Jews were allowed to inflict. Five times he received 40 strikes minus one. That's 39 if you have trouble with math. <laughs> but who was it from? The Jews. Who was he called to? The Gentiles. No, he wasn't called to the Jews. He was called to the Gentiles. But where would he always go? The Jews. To the Jews. Do you know a lot of our trouble that we have is self-made? Tell someone you may be the source of your problems. <laughs> now, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your neighbor. Me and you's like this. <laughs> Paul was primarily called to the Gentiles. However, Paul tried to go to the Jews first. A lot of those strikes were not necessary if he'd gone where he was supposed to go. Five times he received 40, 40 strikes minus one. Why is that? Why would they have... 39 verses 40. Deuteronomy 25.3 says the maximum stripes you give someone is 40. Lest you humiliate your brethren in front of the congregation or you may end up killing them. 40 was the number, but they said 39. Why? Because maybe you may miscount, go over and be under the judgment of God because if you went over that amount, you yourself would receive that punishment. So to make sure they didn't go over, they went one less. And then to make sure that it was 39, they developed a whip with three cords, and you got 13 lashes across your back, which is 39. Paul received it five times. And you don't see in the book of Acts anywhere where it was at this point, but he had to receive it. Paul received 195 stripes from the Jews, and most of them not necessary. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's the Roman punishment. They beat you with rods. There was uh, Roman soldiers called lictors. They had birchwood wooden uh, 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 rods, and they would beat you, and there was no number. It was up to their whim. How many times? And the only place we see this happening is in the book of Acts in Philippi. They, he was beaten with rods, and it said they laid many stripes on him. 
It's but two other times, not in the book of Acts, that it happened to him prior to this writing. Roman punishment. Once I was stoned in Lystra, we have example, we see that in the book of Acts. And he was stoned in Lystra. He went to a rock concert. And he was on stage. I guarantee you that is not pleasant getting hit with rocks till you die. And Paul was left dead. That's where I believe in the next chapter we're going to talk about he was caught up into heaven and heard wonderful things that he had died and went into heaven and was raised from the dead. That happened in Lystra. Three times I was shipwrecked. The only time in the book of Acts we see that he's in a shipwreck is in Acts 27. And Paul had not written that at that point. This is much earlier than Acts 27. So three times not even put in the book of Acts, he was in a shipwreck. One of those times he was not at night in the day in the deep. We're going to see that happen in Acts 27 where the ship breaks up. He's in the deep again. But that's not referring to this three times that he mentions. 26, chapter 20, verse 26 says, In journeys often, in perils of waters and robbers and own countrymen and Gentiles and in the city and the wilderness and in the sea and among false brethren. Journeys often. We have in the book of Acts three missionary journeys, but undoubtedly he had more. In the perils of waters, the Greek word waters is the word rivers. In that day, the rivers would at certain season overflow their bounds, very dangerous to cross. Paul said, I had perils crossing rivers. In perils of robbers in that day, traveling was very unsafe. There were robbers along the road to steal from you. Paul had perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles. Who are his countrymen? The Jews. Notice he mentions the Jews first, the perils of the Jews, and then the perils of the Gentiles. There were some perils he wasn't called to have. There's some trials that God never have called you to go through, problems to go through that if you were following what God said to do, you would have avoided them. But thank God for God's mercy. Tell someone you need mercy. Now tell someone else you really need mercy. In perils of the Gentiles. That's the book of, that's the that's Ephesus. He was in Ephesus. That's a Gentile city. And a whole amphitheater of the entire city gathered to kill him. And they sat for an hour yelling, Great is the Diana of Ephesians. And about 30 minutes into it, a guy reached over to the guy next to him. What are we doing here? I don't know. (laughs) Just keep shouting. And they were trying to find Paul to bring him in, to tear him apart, give him to the beast. And God brought him out. And then there was the perils in the city, that's Ephesus, perils in the wilderness, where there's snakes and scorpions. And bears, oh my. In the perils of the sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea. In perils among false brethren. And that's Galatians, and that's here, false brethren today. Verse 27, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. He said there was weariness and toil. I worked wherever I went. There was times I didn't get any sleep. Sometimes I was in prayer all night, didn't sleep. Sometimes the situation wouldn't allow me to sleep, and I would get no sleep. Next of all, he said, I had hunger and thirst. There was times there wasn't enough to eat. Now, this is because of persecution. This isn't, well, God sometimes just wants you to have hunger and thirst and lack. No, no, no. It's with persecution that this was happening. So he had hunger and thirst times he didn't have enough to eat and have enough to drink. But then he says fastings. What's the difference between hunger, thirst, and fasting? Fasting is where he chose to go 
withholding food. And that's one of the, the worst out of the entire list <laughs> of trials. It's fasting. You know, fasting is very appealing right after Thanksgiving meal. Like, I think I'm going to go. Ah, I'm excited about my fast. I'm going 40 days. And then Monday hits, you go, 40 minutes. In cold and nakedness. There was times he didn't have enough clothing. That's why in 2 Timothy, he said, when Timothy come, bring my parchments. I want to study. I'm still studying the word of God. It's the end of my life. Apostle. But then he says, bring my cloak. Why? It's cold. He says, verse 28, besides the other things, that's everything he listed. He says, what comes upon me daily, the anxiety that comes on me daily, the deep concern, though the stuff was outward, what about the inward stuff? Just the concerns and anxieties that we face can wear us down and can be a severe trial to us than anything on the outside. Paul says that the churches brought deep concern. He treated these churches that he developed like children. Only a parent can know the weight of seeing their children suffer or being tempted to go in a wrong direction in what they go through. Paul went through that. Verse 29. Who is weak and I'm not weak? When they suffer, I'm suffering. That's why Jesus is. Jesus suffers when you're suffering. He is touched with the infirmities and your sufferings and weaknesses. Jesus is your head and you're the body. And when, he fit, he, when you suffer, he suffers. He knows what's, what you're going through. Do you know the first martyr? When Jesus went into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God and been there for 2,000 years. But when the first martyr, Stephen, was martyred, he saw into heaven and saw the Son of Man standing. Jesus stood up. In honor of the first martyr. He honors. He knows what you're going through. And he's there to help you. Am I not weak? Who is made to stumble into sin and I don't burn with indignation over it? And he's anger to see what they're doing to the Corinthians. Verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my weaknesses. Why? So that the glory of God, the power of God will rest on me and he gets the glory. He'll get the glory. You want to boast? Boast about when you couldn't make it, he brought you out. And the only answer to you surviving today is what he did for you. Verse 31. The God and Father. See, he's not only your God. He's your Father. Do you want to come to the aid of your children? Do you want to provide for your children? How much more does your father? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is blessed. What does that mean? He has all the resources you need in the midst of your trials. See, God is not, is not only your father. He, he's omniscient, which means he knows everything. Next of all, he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. So what's this bring out? That in the middle of your trial, God is all-knowing. He knows everything going on. He's all-powerful. He's able to do everything you need him to do, and he has all wisdom. He knows how to bring you out. And what's the kicker? 
is he loves you. You're his child. Put them all together, you're coming out. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows. Say knows. He knows. He knows that I'm not lying. Verse 32. Now Paul's going to bring out a specific trial. Those are, everything up until now has been general. We're almost done. Don't unbuckle. <laughs> up until now, it's been very general about his trials, but he's going to bring out a very specific one. He's going to end with it. He's going to bring this out. And let's look at this very specific trial that he remembers that's been burnt upon his conscience. He can't forget it. He wants to bring it out. In verse 32, he says, In Damascus, the governor, under Heratus, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascusines with a garrison desiring to arrest me. Verse 33, And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and I escaped. Where was this located? Where did this take place? In Damascus. When was Paul in Damascus? Right after, at the point he was going to kill Christians. He was on the path, I'm going to kill me some Christians, I'm going to drag them in, I'm going to stop this Christianity, and met Jesus on the road. And he had, in the force of this revelation hit him so hard, he got knocked off his horse, hit the ground so hard, the S and Saul got knocked off and a P got put on. He went from Saul to Paul. He met the Savior. And then immediately afterward, he starts preaching the gospel. And the very first persecution trial that he ever received was the one deepestly ingrained in his heart, how God delivered him out of it. Hebrews says that when you're first enlightened, you have a, flight, uh, you have a fight of afflictions that hit you. What's Paul bring, why is Paul bringing out that I go back? This is what I do. I go back to the very beginning. And I figure, where was I? Where did God find me? What pit did I get dug out of? And how did God deliver me? When I started trusting in him, he met me time and time again. Go back to when you got saved. What did he deliver you out of? In the first times when you're troubling and you fell apart like a $2 suitcase, when that trial happens, that finance, and he met you financially, paid your rent, healed your body, he, you didn't have a car, provided a car, he provided for you in those first days. Paul says, I, the first time God delivered me, I go back to it. It's burnt within my consciousness. Go back, go back, go back, and remember God's faith. Because what's going to happen is you get into a trial, you get so short-focused, and you feel like, I feel like I'm going to die right here. That I'm roadkill. I'm going to die in the road right here. But think back at how he's delivered you time and time and time. Go back to the beginning. Remember, the Israelites got brought out. It's ten plagues delivered them. They get to a Red Sea moment and God splits the Red Sea. They go through it. Then there's manna and then there's water from the rock. Time and time again. But every time they got to a fresh new trial, they'd fall apart. <laughs> oh, God's going to kill us. right? We're going to die. We're going to die. But God would deliver them. Go back. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he has brought you through, he's going to do it again. Go back and remember.
bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for your word. So your faithfulness. That you're pointing us back this morning from the day we got saved and how you delivered us in those first days and how faithful you were there. And you didn't bring us all this way and deliver us all this time for us to die right here. You're going to be faithful and bring us through again and again and again and again because you're all wise, all knowing, all wisdom, and you love us. And you delight to deliver us, that you get the glory. Our boast is in our weaknesses so that we can glory in you. We thank you for it. Now you say, Pastor, I'm in the midst of a Red Sea moment. I'm in the midst of a trial. It's hot. It's difficult. I don't know where we're at. It doesn't feel good. I don't like being here. But God's saying, will you go back and worship me for the things I have done? Will you get your mind on what I've done for you when you first got saved, how I was faithful to you, and I've been faithful here and there. Now all the way I've been faithful to you. I'm, gonna, I'm bringing you through. I'm bringing you through in this one. But you want, you're going to make that commitment to go back in your mind and remember and worship God as a marker of what he's done for you. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You say, God, I'm in the midst of a trial, but I'm going to remember how faithful you are, and I'm trusting you to do it again. Father, we thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship God together. I feel like the Lord is saying to his church today that those you've been praying for to come back into the fold or to receive him for the first time, that no matter what the circumstance looks like, no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how bad it is, to keep praying because he is our loving father. He is all powerful. He can do what you ask him to do. So keep praying, keep intercessing because he is our loving father and he is so amazing and powerful. He can do it. As we were singing, I had a vision. I don't usually have visions, but this was very, very strong. There was a path, and it was crooked. And Jesus was standing at the top of this path, and he turned around, and he held out his hand, and he said, follow me. And I feel like someone may be on that crooked path. Look to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, he is powerful, and he will lead the way. Um, hey, uh, I just felt like the Lord was just wanting me to say that, uh, you know, Ephesians 3.20, I was back there in worship and he was just laying that on my heart and that he is exceedingly abundantly able to do all things through the power that works within us. He's within us. We can do it. And um, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So we are overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I just feel like uh, the Lord just wanted to encourage you and me as well. So uh, God bless. <laughs>